Welcome to Brush Up. Brush Up, your refresher on iconic historical events, fun facts, and much more. Stay tuned. I'm Roberto. I'm Judy. I'm from Quito, Ecuador. I'm an American from France. We're both history enthusiasts. And today, we've whipped up some of our favorite facts about the apartheid. Here's your brush up. Today's episode will cover three main parts. First, we'll talk about the history leading up to the apartheid system. Then, we're going to talk about the life under the apartheid. And finally, we will talk about resistance to the system. In 1652, Dutch colonists settled on the most southern tip of South Africa, the Cape of Good Hope, eventually establishing the Cape Colony in 1795. They were called Boer, which means farmers in Dutch. They were also known as Afrikaners, a term that became common in the 19th century. The Dutch East India Company discovered the Cape Town area and established it as a trading port. Eventually, the Boers will move inland and enter into conflict with indigenous African people as they took over land for farming. In 1795, the British dispatched troops to the Cape Colony area and by 1806 took permanent control of Cape Colony. There was a lot of tension between the British and the Boers in the region. Tensions got bigger in 1833 when the British abolished slavery throughout the empire. Because of this, the great trek of Boers took place. It was a migration of over 10,000 Boers north, which allowed them to take over some of those territories. Besides Cape Colony, there were three other important areas that now constitute modern-day South Africa. First, we have Natal. The British were against the establishment of independent states on the coast, so they annexed Natal in 1843. Then there were Transvaal and the Orange Free State, two independent Boer republics since the early 19th century. In 1880, the first Boer War took place after the British annexed Transvaal, and the war eventually ended because the British made a truce with the Boers. About the same time, the discovery of new goods made tensions and stakes even higher in the region. Diamonds were discovered in the Orange Free State and some in Cape Colony. Gold was discovered in Transvaal. To make a profit, gold mine companies needed hundreds of thousands of men willing to work for little pay. So the Second Boer War happened in 1899 till 1902. Both Transvaal and the Orange Free State entered into the British Empire with a promise of self-governance soon after. 1910 was an important year for the region because South Africa, quote-unquote, gained independence from the British. The four colonies that we just talked about, Cape Colony, Natal, Transvaal, the Orange Free State, all united to become a dominion of the British Empire called the Union of South Africa. Not long after, segregation was put into law through the 1913 Land Act. This was the first major segregation legislation passed by the Union Parliament. It prohibited blacks from buying or hiring land in 93% of South Africa, despite them representing more of the population. Yeah, I think by the 1940s, the black population represented almost 80% of the people of South Africa. There was still a lot of tensions between the Afrikaners and the Anglophone population in the country. Afrikaners did not like the British, so they were really unhappy when South Africa entered World War I on the side of Great Britain. And then later, in the 1930s, Afrikaner nationalists started to develop their own ideas of racial superiority. So many of them actually objected when South Africa joined World War II on the side of the Allies. The rising tension brought more segregation laws. In 1923, the Natives Act, or also known as the Urban Areas Act, regulated the presence of black people in urban areas. 
shanty towns started appearing outside of the big cities because poor black people depended on cities for income and other resources. Physical separation was not enough. In 1936, the Representation of Natives Act took it a step further. There were a couple of black elites who could vote at the time, but they were removed from electoral rolls. So now, what did the apartheid mean? Racial segregation was already happening in South Africa, but it was about to get even worse. In May 26, 1948, the National Party, led by Daniel Malan, won the majority in the House of Assembly. The National Party was a close ally to the Afrikaner Party. And a fun fact is that Milan and his colleagues were very close to the African Brotherbond, or Brotherhood in English, which was a secret organization dedicated to the promotion of Afrikaner interests. The National Party implemented the apartheid system of segregation, extending laws that were already in place. They did this because they believed in racial superiority but also because they fear their jobs and culture will be lost because they represented a minority. Apartheid means apartness in Afrikaans, and it was particularly bad because it started at a time when the rest of the world was really moving away from accepting any type of racial discrimination. So we could conclude that South Africa was going backwards at that point. Yeah, exactly. New regulations were imposed with this new state of apartheid. In 1950, the Population Registration Act took place, it classified and registered groups of people into four groups. Bantu, that were black Africans. Colored, that were mixed races. White, and the Asian category that was added later. The people in power took this legislation so serious that they even have different tests to determine which group someone belonged to. For example, they used the pencil test. In order to know if someone was black or not, they will ask you to put a pencil in your hair, shake your head, and if the pencil will fall, you were not considered black, but if you would stay, you would be categorized as a black person. And that would determine so much of your status in society, which is crazy. Top-notch technology. <laughs> they also had pass laws, which were put in place. They required black people to carry documentation to be able to enter areas that were reserved for white people. And then they also started really dividing people, not only geographically, but also socially. They prohibited interracial sex and marriage. In 1950, the Group Area Act was established. It imposed physical separation between groups by organizing areas in cities so that only one class of people could live or own a particular piece of land. It ended up sending black people to specific reservations outside of the city. In 1951, the Bantu Authorities Act gave authority to traditional tribal leaders within their homelands, but it also forced some of the people back into their traditional homeland reserves, even if they were working in the cities. Political segregation didn't take long to happen. The Afrikaners argue that letting black people be part of an equal society will lead to communism. They even legalized the use of violence and torture by the police to suppress the so-called communism. They also amplified restrictions in everyday life. For example, they imposed segregation in all public facilities, and they also segregated education. Even at the university level, they actually created separate institutions for black and white individuals. In 1958, Dr. Hendrik Verward became the prime minister, and he kind of rebranded the apartheid as a quote-unquote separate development system. So basically, he aimed to grant black people the same rights and freedom as white people, but within their designated homeland. So we could consider this as a small victory for the Bantu people? On paper, it called for equality, but in practice, this was not at all the case. 
Those ideas were the basis to force the resettlement of many black people in eight different African homelands. Ten years later, the Bantu Homeland Citizenship Act forced every black South African to be a citizen of one of those homelands. Black people were no longer citizens of South Africa. Thankfully, there was resistance to the apartheid. Let us guide you through how people mobilized together to finish with this horrific regulation. Resistance had been happening for a while in South Africa. For example, as early as the late 19th century, John Tengo Jabavu, who was a political activist, opposed laws that were trying to impose stricter restrictions for voting. In 1912, the South African Native National Congress was formed. It was a movement bringing together educated black people. They advocated for the rights of their people. In 1923, the South African Native National Congress changed its name to the African National Congress, or ANC. Nelson Mandela was born around that time, on July 18, 1918, in the Union of South Africa. Actually, his birth name was Rolihala Mandela, sorry for the butchering, but in primary school he was given the name Nelson by a teacher to comply with the custom of giving school children Christian names. He was born in an elite family. His dad was actually a local chief, and he was a direct counselor to the monarch of the Tembu people. This gave Nelson Mandela a very privileged access to study at the University College of Fort Hare. However, he was actually expelled during his time there for being an activist. He worked for a while and then finally completed his bachelor degree at the University of South Africa. In 1943, Nelson Mandela joined the ANC. He also co-founded the Youth League branch of the ANC. The ANC introduced a program of action, supporting strike action, protest, and other forms of non-violent resistance. A fun fact is that Mandela not only focused in politics, he also had a passion for law. In 1952, he founded the first law firm in South Africa to be run by black partners. Its name was Mandela and Tambo. In 1952, the ANC organized a defiance campaign. It was a nonviolent protest that called for people to break apartheid laws on purpose and get arrested, and they were hoping to try and collapse the prison system by getting so many people in jail. As a result, 8,000 people ended up in jail, but this was not enough to break the system. 20 individuals, including Mandela, were charged under the Suppression of Communism Act and sentenced to nine months of hard labor. This whole movement will unfortunately resulted in stricter rules like the Criminal Law Amendment Act. That act made it an offense to encourage any type of resistance to the law. But on the flip side, there was one positive as this event helped spread awareness for their cause. A couple years later, some members of the ANC broke off to form the Pan-Africanist Congress. The PAC. They wanted to implement a more violent and militant approach. In 1960, an important event took place, the Sharpeville Massacre. So the ANC was planning to protest against the past laws, but the PAC decided to organize one earlier because they didn't think that the ANC's approach would be a good one. And it turned out to be the most violent protest that took place in South Africa. The original plan was to surrender their passes and invite arrest, but the situation quickly got out of hand. Police officers claimed that protesters started stoning them, so they opened fire on the protesters, killing 69 black people and wounding 180. This huge commotion will end with 11,000 people being arrested and at a state of emergency being declared throughout the country. Sharpeville brought the apartheid to the international spotlight. 
And this led to a huge event in 1961. South Africa was forced to withdraw from the Commonwealth. So they gained independence from Great Britain, although it was not willingly. But Great Britain could not realistically continue its association with a state that had apartheid-type laws in place. So South Africa became what it is today, a republic. In the same year, Nelson Mandela founded the Spirit of the Nation. This was the military branch of the ANC. They used sabotage as their primary way of acting. So this was kind of his third phase. He had started negotiating, moved into protesting, and now reached the violent stage. In order to get his military approach ready, Nelson Mandela left the country in 1962, trying to gain support for the armed struggle, and ended up coming back to South Africa in July 1962. Unfortunately, he was arrested on August 5th and charged with leaving the country without a permit and for inciting a workers' strike. He was convicted and sentenced to five years in prison. A year later, while Mandela was in prison, he joined others on trial for sabotage in what's known as the Ravonia trial. Mandela and seven others were convicted and sentenced to life in prison. He would only be allowed one 30-minute visit per year, and he could only send and receive two letters per year. At this point, the apartheid kept gaining international attention because of the trial. In 1964, the Olympics banned South Africa from participating, and they actually ended up being banned for 32 years until 1988. And more importantly, almost a decade later in 1977, the UN Security Council voted on an embargo for arms exports to South Africa and later an oil embargo. So they're really starting to be cut off from the rest of the world. Despite these restrictions, the Afrikaners were still putting more segregation rules in place. In 1974, the South African government tried to enforce the African language requirement for black students instead of their local language. This led to the Soweto uprising, during which students protested. The event gained huge international traction because 176 students were killed. So afterwards, some white South African politicians called for the relaxation of apartheid rules and even racial equality. Black people were at the forefront of the push against apartheid, but it's important to note that other groups were also pushing back. For example, the Natal Indian Congress that was established in 1894 by Gandhi was helping the fight against discrimination. Fun fact you may not know, Gandhi did travel to South Africa in early 1893 to practice law under a one-year contract. And that's why he actually did play a part in ending the apartheid before it even started. <laughs> International pressure kept growing. In 1985, the U.S. and the U.K. imposed economic sanctions on South Africa. Before that, the U.S. was a little wary to intervene since South Africa was labeling some of their apartheid rules as a fight against communism. The following year, in 1986, South Africa finally abolished pass laws, but black people still couldn't live in certain areas. They did, however, abolish bans on interracial sex and marriage. 1989 represented a pivotal year for South Africa. President Botha resigned. He was replaced by the Education Minister Frederick William de Klerk. So in 1990 till 1991, he actually repealed most of the legislations that were in place that formed the legal basis for the apartheid. In 1990, he decided to free Nelson Mandela from his life sentence. And in 1992, he conducted an apartheid referendum. He asked the population whether or not they supported the end of apartheid. And interestingly enough, it was mostly limited to white South African voters. And the results of the election had a huge victory for, yes, we want the end of apartheid. So all the legislation was lifted 
and two years later, universal suffrage was introduced. A new constitution was adopted in 1994, and the first all-race elections was held that same year, the first free election of South Africa. And they elected Nelson Mandela as their president, along with a government with a black majority. Nelson Mandela, along Frederick William de Klerk, won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1993. In 1995, the date, December 16, was termed as the Day of Reconciliation for uniting the whole country. This date was chosen because it was relevant for both the Afrikaners and the Bantu people, or blacks. In 2013, Nelson Mandela died, but he didn't die in vain. He started a movement towards a more equal and fair society. Today, the apartheid rules are over, but some social tension still remains in the country. So, to sum up our brush up, the Dutch and British came to the South African region as early as the 17th century, establishing colonies, ports, and taking over land for farming. The Dutch Boer farmers believed in racial superiority, but they eventually lost control of the region to the British, who united four colonies to form the Union of South Africa in 1910. Shortly after, segregation laws were put into place that restricted land ownership for black people. Apartheid was formally put in place in 1948, when the National Union Party came into power. They imposed more land restrictions and divided black and white people, as well as other minorities, socially, geographically, and politically. Black people were no longer allowed to vote at all. They were restricted to certain areas and treated with little respect by authorities. Thankfully, there was resistance to this system. The African National Congress fought back against these restrictions and Nelson Mandela joined their efforts. They started by negotiating, then protesting, and finally turned to a more violent approach. Mandela and other activists were arrested and sentenced to life in prison. In 1961, South Africa was forced to withdraw from the British Commonwealth and apartheid received international sanction. Eventually, the president was forced to resign and was replaced by Frederick Willem de Klerk, who ended apartheid. Then, Nelson Mandela was elected in the first free elections and worked to create reconciliation and unity in South Africa. That's all that we got for today. We hope you enjoyed this history brush up. We started this podcast to make history more fun and accessible. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and giving us a positive rating. We'll catch you in the next episode. In the meantime, share your new knowledge with some friends, or even better, share this podcast with them. We love the support.